loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Nina and Paula. Nina combines her intuitive abilities with professional education in, end of, in the end-of-life field. Certified by the American Academy of Bereavement, she also holds a BA in Human Services. She's a graduate of Mueller College of Holistic Studies and was a licensed massage therapist for more than 17 years. Nina's book, Dearly Departed, What I Learned About Living from the Dying, was inspired by 10 years of volunteering for hospice. She's a member of the Holistic Chamber of Commerce and has won awards for her writings with the National Hospice and Palliative Care Association. Nina has more than 20 years experience as a Reiki master and incorporates it into her grief counseling with amazing results. Nina's podcast called Tutoring for the Spirit ended in 2019, and she'll be coming to this network, joining me on Voice America with her own show on May 6, 2020. Her show is called Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations, and she'll be interviewing people from a lot of different aspects of end of life, near-death experiencers, uh, hospice, pet psychics that assist when a a family member of the pet variety passes, uh, those who have survived cancer, all different directions, all uh, to enhance the conversation of of end-of-life. She's passionate about bringing education to her community and about the transition from this life, which I agree is a subject sorely neglected by our society. And welcome, Nina. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Cheryl. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, I thought I'd just start by by reading the quote that's in your address bar because it's such a great, uh, a great entree into our conversation. Grief can be a garden of compassion if you keep your heart open through everything. Your pain can be your greatest ally in your life's search for love and wisdom. Rumi, one of my favorites. So thanks for that starting point. Oh, mine too. That's something that I truly believe in. If uh, people find the right people to help them, there's so many possibilities after a loved one has died, as you know. As I know, for sure. And what's what it stands out to me from having read your book and, and learning a bit about you getting ready for today is that it doesn't appear like your initial uh, uh, going into hospice work was as a result of a personal loss uh, necessarily, but just kind of a, of a magnetism. Am I right about that? That's correct. So massage therapy kind of started me on the journey. You know, there's such a beautiful connection when, well, at least for me, there was such a beautiful connection when I was massaging people. When I found that people that came in sad, that the massage actually helped them to open up in a way where they allow themselves to be with you. They're very vulnerable. And with touch and with connection, so much would take place. And of course, then I learned to be, learned to do Reiki. I became a Reiki master. I incorporated that in. 
as well. So that's how it all started to me, which probably, well, I don't think anything prepares you, Cheryl, to lose your own parents. I don't know. I could probably do hospice the rest of my life and it never would have prepared me to lose my mom and dad. But I will say having doing this work, it helped me to, me to open up just like that quote to, okay, what's next here? What's going on here? What am I going to glean from this? It was one of the hardest things in my life, losing my own mom. And that's, uh, you know, I, I was hearing in my head my own answer to that, which yes. is, uh, you know, losing my wife helped me prepare for losing my parents. Um, so there's yes. some way uh, each, uh, not to minimize that each grief is a grief of its own. And um, but but having 10 years to learn and, you know, you too, to to sit with people I sat with one person in, in, intimately, mm -hmm. and you sat with a lot of people intimately, but not living with them. <laughs> you know, um, you you kind of get the lay of a land. Uh, I know that the way I handled my mother's dying, as opposed to my grief for her, was mm -hmm. so uh, so affected by having learned how to sit with someone as they died with my wife. I did it so differently uh, than I think I probably would have. Would you say that's true of you in some ways too? Yes. Yes. Because you, when, I'm just going to speak for myself, you know, doing this work as long as I have, I've actually started working with dying people in 1997. So it, it's, and it's something that I'm passionate about. And actually, I know it sounds weird to people, but I like it. It, it's, it doesn't sound weird to me, as you could uh, imagine. Right. Yes. <laughs> and that's what we're trying to express here on the show. I mean, you're walking, you walk into the room of a dying person. This is kind of the way I start, the way I've always been. You walk into the room of a dying person and you tune into something greater than yourself. You walk into that room, there's something very holy happening. And as with your wife, as, is, as with my mother and those people that are very close to us, I always feel that. We're, we're almost chosen. They chose us to help them cross. And what that taught me through my years of volunteering and other things that I did around the death and dying, I've been to hospitals and homes and all these different places, even with accidents that I've witnessed, you kind of have to bring it up a level where you're looking at something from a broader view as opposed to the fear that kind of starts to take over when you walk into the room of a dying person that you know you you may be losing very soon. So it's kind of like looking it out through a different window, as sad as it is, Cheryl, and that's kind of the way I've always done it. And with my own mom, you know, I knew the last day that I was going to be with her, I could see in her face that she didn't have much time left, that it was, you know, she was going to be gone in a couple of days. I knew that only because of what I've witnessed. And in that regard, helped me a lot because I knew what was coming. That makes sense. It does. The other thing that stood out, and we're kind of skipping to the end of your book because you tell a lot of other stories before you talk about your mother's dying. Yes. Uh, but um, it, it kind of culminated there I would say I mean it makes sense to me it was at the end of the of the book right. and one thing that stood out to me about that time for you is um, 
you know, if, if there's sort of a, uh, a common difficulty with a parent's death, it's, it's not getting there, right? Many people um, feel very tortured by yes. not having been with their parent. Yes. Um, but for you, um, you knew that the right thing wasn't necessarily to be there. It was to be present but not in the room. And I, I thought that was a very good message about how uh, listening to our own wisdom about things it doesn't always give us the answer we thought we'd get. Correct. Would you agree? Yes. <laughs> I, I didn't get the impression that's the answer you thought you would get. Right. But I it's mean, clearly the answer you got. Yes. Yep. And I knew that I had made the right decision because I just – driving 90 minutes at that moment, I felt that I could be more present with her in prayer and meditation and help her cross, which is literally what I did on a completely different plane. It's in the book, guys, but it's pretty, <laughs> it's very deep. You know what happened? I mean, I could go into it here, but it's it was a very, I, it's what I call a shared experience. I actually did help her get across. And I don't know if I had been in person, if it would have been like that. And the funeral was a whole different ballgame because that's, when you're at a funeral, you're very much in your earthly body and seeing things that are hard to witness. But when I was in prayer and meditation, I wasn't physically with her. I felt like I was able to help her and she did come to me. So it was quite beautiful, you know, so it, it really changed me. That changed me even more. I mean, when you work in the death and dying field, you're always learning so much about this life and transcending it and what that might be like someday. The other thing that comes to my mind, though, is uh, I've, I've got three children, but I've given birth once. And, uh, but I've also been there. I was there when all my grandchildren were born. That's three of them. I've been there at, at a number of other births as well. Um, just by luck, you know, and fate in my life. It's a similar atmosphere for me. If the people that are present mm -hmm. are experiencing it as sacred. Yes. You know, uh, in some manner or form. And that doesn't, that doesn't equate with whether you're home or in a hospice unit or in a hospital. You know, none of that to me affects it as much as the the um, state of mind and the state of heart of the people in the room. The energy in the room. That's what that is. I could share a short little story with you if you'd like. Absolutely. I was um, asked by a family member, which is not uncommon. I was asked by one of um, my family members to go help a, a friend of hers that was passing away and she was not able to be there. And she asked me if I could go. And I said, sure, I would be happy to. And she was actively dying. She was getting towards the end. And I did what I always do with people, you know, bring a presence of peace into the room, giving Reiki if it's allowed and if they're comfortable with it. But what I found, this is a really good example of what you were just talking about, Cheryl, that what happens is there's, a, there's a, a fear that can walk in the room. Where do we touch the person? Do we get close to the person? What's it going to look like when they're going to die? Are they going to start suffocating? Are they going to start choking? And, and I stood up around this beautiful woman, and I looked at all of her friends, and I said, get close. 
just get close. If, if you know, you're not comfortable touching her, but just get close. She can feel you standing far away and talking. And hearing is one of the last things to go when somebody passes mm. away. They can hear everything, even though they look like they can't. Right. So it's very important to, you know, not be talking about the patient while you're in the room and approach the bed because it's a scary time for her. And they just kind of looked at me funny, like it was a foreign language that I was speaking. But then, you know, I just brought peace to them because what had walked in the room was fear and not love, peace. Because people bring their own fears of death into the room when someone else is dying. I think it's almost something that can't be avoided with some people. Sure. And, but it can change over time. I'm thinking about a couple of years before my, my mother died. Well, so when my father died, it, he fell, his um, spinal cord was, was severed there, you know, so he, he died pretty quickly. But um, my mother, my brother, my sister-in-law, that whole part of the family actually left in the midst of that. Wow. And I, and I thought, whoa. But then I thought, okay, well, they haven't been there for something like this. You know, it's enough for them, right? Right, right. And then a couple of years before my mom died, she had a very cataclysmic um, rupt, uh, I, bleeding ulcer, but way below, hemorrhaging ulcer. That's okay. a better word. Okay. And uh, she was in the ICU and, and all this. She did survive that and, and recovered entirely. But uh, my brother came in and he he fled immediately. And I was like, what's going on? And he later said, I couldn't watch my mother die. Mm -hmm. But then when she actually was dying a couple of years later, he was able to be there more, right? Yes. We learn over time. And I realized, oh, I, I was saturated when my wife died. I was in that dying place for month after month after month. I have some experience that that other people in the family didn't have, right? Yes. <laughs> so um, I have, I feel that exposure does help us, uh, you know, show up with less and less fear over time. This is, is that your experience? Well, yes. And it's one of the main, I, I don't know, I guess you could say about my volunteers that I've trained over the years, that they make the best volunteers the ones that have been through it. And we usually have to make sure that the loved one has been gone a year before we hire them on. But volunteers that have lost a husband or lost a wife, lost even a child or someone in their family that was very close to them, they make my best volunteers because they have that compassion. They have that sense, you know, when they walk into the room, what's really needed in that moment. So yes, I do find that to be true. And I'm really comfortable around death now, obviously, because I've helped hundreds of people pass away. And that's what I want to bring to everybody else. You know, so it's a it's a curious thing, isn't it? That um, at least for me, actually being there when someone dies, really reduced my fear of death a lot. Yes. Um, you know, it just in that moment, I mean, grief is a bit scary and anticipating death is scary. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, I didn't feel any fear at all. Uh, no. 
and maybe that's just me, but I, I have heard that from other people as well. Mm -hmm. So there is something, uh, you know, to live without that kind of visceral, not that I can't get afraid of the end of my life, but I'm not afraid of death. Yeah. <laughs> as it were okay that will that you're not afraid you well wait let's say that again that's a great statement you just said so you're not you're not afraid of the end of life i'm not but, afraid of death okay you're not i afraid have of moments of fear of of the end of living oh, right because you, you know yes the people we, you leave and the yes and the life you've had you won't have anymore change is basically it yeah that's I'm exactly not afraid right of death. yes yeah so, you know, well, there's a word that I have. In fact, I don't know if uh, this one gal's listening, Judy, um, just a beautiful human being. And I helped her when her brother passed away. And it was so interesting seeing. Can you can you save that story? Because it's about sure. time for a break. And I don't oh, okay, want sure. to cut you off in the middle. I'd be happy to. So we'll talk about Judy when we get back. Okay. And listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, all of that kind of thing. Uh, sign up for my email list. And to find Nina and Paula, go to tutoringforthespirit.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Nina Impalo about her work in hospice and her book, Dearly Departed. And before the break, Nina, you were just about to tell us the story of Judy. And yes. I didn't want to cut you off, so I saved it for after the break. You want to go ahead with that? I would. You know, it's there are people that have died in my life, and uh, obviously you, from reading my book and this lady was just an amazing human being and so was her brother who I helped pass away and it was kind of a fluke someone had called me and told me hey if you're going to Vegas can you check in on my on my brother and his sister and I did so one of the things that came from helping this wonderful soul pass on was something called the death zone and I started to call this 
Well, when you're taking care of somebody with cancer and you know that they're terminal or you know that anybody's terminal and they're not going to be coming back, you enter the death zone. And as you were saying earlier, that most people go through this once, twice, we deal with death all the time. But for most people, they help their parents die and, you know, they have loved ones or friends die and those kind of things. But entering the death zone is literally being present, being there, being the care. You're now in it and you've never done it before. And it's nothing that you ever expected. So this beautiful soul, I went over to see her. And basically, I think it was the most amazing experience I'd ever witnessed in my life. Once she was able to turn that corner and realize that the, de the death zone is a holy place, it, it, it's a place where you've been called, you are the one that's going to help this person transition. Okay, take that and you put that aside. She took a couple of deep breaths and I was going to go see her brother out in the backyard and he's like, no, help my sister. So we talked him into it because we used the massage therapy card <laughs> and I uh, went out in the backyard and he was just sitting up and I massaged his back and he was just the sweetest guy. And he said, you're professional at this, aren't you? And I said, yes. Well, moving forward, it actually happened on the day that he passed away. Not only were they both calm and ready, even her little, her son who was only five at the time, it was just the most beautiful transition that I had ever heard about in my life. He basically, because he was sitting up when he passed away because his tumor was so large on his neck. And he looked up and he smiled and he was gone. And he let his sister know, I'm going to go today. Today's the day that I will pass away. Mm -hmm. That can only come from a place of peace and understanding. And because she was in that place too, and fear was not in the room, then you have exactly our quote from Rumi in that moment where you are just reaping the benefits of being completely present and knowing what's going to happen, opening up to what's going to happen. Does that happen for everybody? No, but what no. she learned, what Judy learned from this experience changed the rest of her life. Mine as well. When she let me know what happened, it was about three days later. It was quite beautiful, but that's, that's what we're doing here. That's what I'm going to be doing. That's what you do, Cheryl, is just opening that space to see it differently. So you come in with peace and calming, you know, fear, you know, the acronym for fear is false expectations appearing real, false experiences appearing real. Mm. It, you're in the future. And even with the death, the person hasn't died yet, but you're in the room and you've brought these ideas and thoughts that are not even real. And it creates so much. So when we, when I can bring that to a family, something where I can get them to open up and find that garden of compassion and love that's sitting there, you know, it's part of life. We're all in line. Uh, I'm having experience I have often on this show, which is that Stephen Levine is talking in my head. Oh. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know if you know who he was. He's he's. I do. Died, actually, died a few years ago. Yes. But um, he 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 used to say, "I can I can always tell a good death when the people around that person feel a sense of healing." Yep. And then and that I, also changes I, grief. It does because regret is a huge factor mm -hmm. in grief. Yes. Um. Regret to me, uh, 
you know, grief hurts, but that's okay. It it should hurt, right? We've lost someone who was important to us. But regret adds this layer of, uh, oh, extra pain, I guess, or uh, unresolvable, heavy. unfinished heaviness. And um, that we have a little more say-so about. I always just think of it, it's like, the heaviness, it's its like, whenever I think of heavy energetically, let's just say that, okay, is that if, if you took like a really nice blanket, like for a queen size bed, and you put it in water, and now just pretend that's worry or regret, and then drape it on that person, that's how heavy it is. Not warming anymore. Of course, some people do like those weighted blankets, so... <laughs> Image might not work for everybody, but I understand. That's true. We have a couple in our motorhome, but you know, I mean, I just think that I always, because for me, everything's energy. Whether I give it a color, I always see worry as being very dark, and that's something I have to work on in my own life all the time. I'm told because I worry, but but when it comes to death, on on this subject, it is something that is is so. It's unfinished business, Cheryl, right? When people, the person's died and you're left with what you wanted to say, that's heavy. And and I think with grief, and I hear your opinion on this, I think with grief, when that hasn't taken place and now the person's gone and I'm left with everything that I wanted to say or what I wanted to hear from them, which is a whole nother topic, then the grief becomes much harder. I think, and it's more weighted. Sure. I, I, I also think we're talking about um, spin, spinning back to this question of, of listening to ourselves, because I find when people have done what really felt right to them and they haven't talked themselves out of it and they've, you know, for That's instance, I know all about Ira Bayek and the and the four things you should say when someone's dying. And when my... I mean, I mean, in 10 years, all those things were said bazillion times with my Correct. wife. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, with my mother, I, I did not really feel that need because we were pretty clean at that point. Right? So if I had followed the rules, right, uh, I might have had some really awkward conversations. Right. <laughs> that right. that didn't really fit with what we were doing. So it was internal no. work. Is that it was what you're internal saying? work. It was it. it was um I think that that there are in case anyone doesn't know those four things, it's um forgive me, I forgive you, you. uh thank you, I love you. Love you and then goodbye. And goodbye. And um I feel those principles were embodied. That's great. You know, yeah. Uh so we do have the to work. We, we do have to listen to ourselves is yes, my bottom line point. And yes. there might be other situations that, that would have more refuse along the path of relating that would need to be cleaned up. But yes, in that particular case, I didn't feel the need of it. So that's an example. Um, I think we're spinning around to this, this part of your book about leaving ego outside the door, which could be confusing to some people, but really resonated for me that uh -huh. somehow we're listening to something deeper than just our opinions. Right. And say when a family member's term is terminal, all of a sudden everybody has an opinion yes. about how they should die and what they need. 
this leads into the conversations of having one one's wishes in place and the importance about it being about the person in the bed being a witness and quiet support to what is happening as opposed to being an active participant when people get controlling the patient suffers they lose their voice and the family member not the patient has taken over the dying process of their loved one um i've seen that i've witnessed it but um what would be some ways that you might recognize that um our ego is taking over what what does it look like in your experience okay so there's a couple things um sometimes i see it with medication uh, i see people that change the prescriptions that the doctors and the nurses have given now of course as we know in hospice let me talk about hospice just a little bit for a second and anybody that's in the healthcare field knows this that if we don't keep a person's pain managed and we don't give them their medications as we are supposed to, that the person's pain can escalate and it can actually get past a point where we can't even get it back to comfortable or if that, it's gonna take a very long time to get that person's pain under control, which makes the patient suffer a lot. And a lot of times people have ideas where people are gonna get addicted to medications at the end of life. And uh, that's not a possibility. The person's going to be dying and we want them as comfortable as possible. And if pain is managed, a person can pass away. When pain's not managed, many times the person lingers and they suffer more. So that's one, one way. Another thing that we see a lot- can, is, I, can I put in a word before you go to the next one? Sure. Which is that in my opinion, that's also true when people are dealing with illness. Um, for instance, for that whole 10 years of my wife's illness, she needed pain medication. Uh, for 10 years, she was supposed to die much quicker. But um, people would say, aren't you afraid of getting addicted? And oh. she'd say, if I manage to live, I'll deal with that. <laughs> That's a great answer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, seriously, can you mind your own business? <laughs> but but the, she was very forthright. Good. People knew where she stood, but uh, which was a great help to me. I didn't have to, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but in any case, um, so the, so the, don't you think that pain sort of eats the medication as long as it's taken as prescribed? I mean, in the in the situation, she had a bone debilitating cancer. There was no way out of pain. Right. She had to do And she, she couldn't needed. live unless she Did reduced it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But you're going to get different people coming in with different ideas, which now, you know, we've got a terminal diagnosis. We've got a person that's dying and maybe they're active now, but maybe they're not. The other controlling thing that we see during this process is food. Mm. Yes. Okay. Food's a big deal. Food is love for a lot of people. I'm full-blooded Sicilian. I feed people. It makes me happy. It's a very hard thing to do at the end of life is when we tell you to somebody, you know, if you're giving them more food, think of what their body is going through, especially if they got serious issues with livers and gallbladders and stomachs and things like that. The body has to process that. And so many times when we're feeding people because we want to feed them. And here's the thing, Cheryl, that I think is very important. Your loved one cares about you deeply. And they, that's when they lose their voice because they want you to be happy. I'm a giving person. I'm a very giving person. I've always been a very giving person. I could see myself at the end of life from someone baking something for me 
and I wouldn't turn it away, you Mm. know, but those people should know, you know, you give this person food, it's going to make it a lot harder on them to sleep, to relax, to rest because the body needs to process the food. So that's another thing that we see. And I've even seen where people want somebody to exercise because they're not accepting the death. So I've seen people get people out of bed that can barely walk. I was working for a a home care company once and nobody really understood what hospice was. And the carer said, well, I get her up every day. She, she died the next day. And that made me so sad because this person probably should have just been all cuddled in bed with warm blankets and peacefully passed away. But someone decided that that person needed to walk. If you probably asked that lady if she wanted to walk, she probably would have said no. It, it circles back to, to, to Judy's brother, doesn't it? That his big concern, he's the one dying. Right. But he said, go help my sister. Exactly. And, and uh, I think that's, I, I, I'm remembering all the things that my wife did to help me with her death. Yeah. It's, it's and, and it's actually much more common in that 10 years than the moments where she asked for help with her death. Uh, they were very few. Mm-hmm. Uh, they stand out. They were memorable right. because they were very few. Correct. But um, I would say that she consistently helped me with preparing to not have her. And so that generous impulse that we have means that the people that love us need to take seriously that we will try to do what they want, perhaps, Yeah. when actually it won't, it won't serve us. No. Mm-mm. You know, with, with the dying process, what I tell a lot of times after a person's died and they have regrets or maybe they realize that they controlled the death or maybe they realize that they were too pushy or did all of these things out of their own fears, that I re- always remind people that what you did came from love. You did it because you loved them. Want me to tell you another quick story? Yes, we have like about three minutes before our next break. Um, okay. <laughs> just I can do it. You know. No, I can do it. I can do it. There was... Um, if you're not quite done, we'll just come back to it, right? Yes, there was this lady. It was when I was a bereavement counselor at Kindred. And that was out in, when I was working in San Diego. And I called this lady on the phone, was doing my bereavement call. And she just started shouting at me and everything that went wrong. And I was at the hospital and this happened. And then the doctor did this and all this was going on. Now, I said, so your dad, how old was your dad? And she said, oh, he was 96 years old. She goes, but I just cannot believe what happened. And she was so mad. And I said, can I stop you a minute? And she said, sure. And she got real quiet. I said, your dad was 96 years old. When a 96-year-old man falls, usually it's not good. And I think that you did the best you could. You called 911, you got him to the hospital, and you did all that because you love your dad. And she just didn't even say a word. Because she didn't yet realize that what she did was out of love. She did everything that she possibly could. And I wrote an article from that story, too, called You Did the Best You Could. Because she did. I, think that's, I think that's a really important point to highlight, since I think it's a natural part of grief, maybe even a stage, that um, the first focus is what we didn't do, you know, what we should have done. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. we don't want to accept Always. there was nothing to do, right? Yes. But... Um, 
the the idea of getting back to what motivated the action mm-hmm. uh, right. that usually helps a little bit and more over time the more we can say oh this the, this is what was motivating me to do that exactly uh it came from love. and it's usually yeah love beautiful beautiful places mm-hmm. that just um couldn't accommodate the circumstance right and in our head, <laughs> you know we want it to look a certain way right absolutely yes Let, yeah. that's a good good moment for a break we'll come back in a few minutes and okay. during the break everyone you can go to my website weatheringrief.com or the good grief host page and there are links to everything on on my host page at voice america and to find nina and paula you can go to tutoringforthespirit.com be back soon Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent. Inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Nina and Paula talking about her book, Dearly Departed, and uh, End of Life. Um things we've noticed at end of life and uh you know we have a lot in in common in terms of of uh how we've looked at that period in a person's life and seeing it as sacred and and um trying to promote people coming to terms with the fact that it happens to all of us (laughs) but during the break you were talking about something that actually may be related to the death denying um aspect of our of our uh society which is the tendency for people after a death to kind of see over and over again you called it the loop seeing the death scene uh the death time over and over again and um i usually i find usually if that goes on a long time it usually has regret involved 
Uh, I don't know if that's your experience, but, um, you know, I over think, and over again, wondering what could have been different or what you might have done or, you know, or that we could have saved them, could have saved them. Exactly. We could have saved them. It, you know, it's interesting to me, no matter how serious something can be sometime, our human heart, if you will, especially when you love somebody so much, why couldn't I have saved them? You know, I, I was ready to put my mom on a plane and take her to Brazil to go see this healer. She just looked at me like, no, Nina, <laughs> we're not, we're not doing that, you know, and, and I, I would have done anything, you know, to save her. And isn't it amazing that that's even in our brain, even when we know somebody's terminal, I could have saved them. There could have been something I could have done, wipe out the cancer, whatever, you know, but there comes a time when you just know that this is it. You know, when you finally get that in yes. there and it's finally in your head and in your heart that this person is going to be leaving us. The loop that I call, and I actually like to talk about this a lot at my sessions with people to help it get it past the skin and to give it a voice because it does start to get a little bit better. But if there's anybody out there listening and you witness something that was hard to witness, I will say on hospice, 98% of people pass peacefully. It's a true statement. It's a statistic. It's a true thing. So if you're worried about that part, let it go because that's our job is to keep pain managed so people can die peacefully. And if you've got a good hospice, that's going to happen. Regardless of that, what we witness at the end of life, even if they're just holding our hand and it's their last breath or the last thing they said or the way they looked at us, or maybe, you know, they, there was something that they did the day before that stayed with us. And if it's an accident, and you see something, our minds hold on to those for quite some time. And it, and it, I call it a loop because it's a loop. It keeps playing over and over again, like you're pushing play, rewind, play, rewind, play, rewind. You're just wondering why it won't go away. And my experience is in the beginning, first year, it kind of plays itself out a lot, maybe depending on the individual but the more you get it past the skin, the more you give it a voice, it starts to lessen. I believe that carrying it inside of you makes it harder and actually makes it bigger sometimes, especially sometimes at night if you're just laying there by yourself in the dark or whatever, you know, it'll play out, but it does get better. And I think it gets, maybe it, it kind of dulls in time just naturally, but I also think that uh, giving it some attention can be very helpful. Uh, for instance, when people really explore why they did what they did. Okay. And when people get exposed, this is all from the grief counselor perspective. Um, and when people get exposed to the, uh, the idea that we actually as human beings, at least in this society, I can't speak for others, mm -hmm. uh, other societies, but we would prefer to think we did something wrong than to feel as if there's nothing we could have done. That's right. You know, to feel completely out of control. Yes. Uh, is is sort of the very worst thing for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so I think the brain prefers to think, oh, it was just my mistake. Mm -hmm. But 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 the terrible price for that is that you feel. Uh, shame and guilt and remorse uh, 
mm-hmm. when actually the person was going to die. Yes. You know, there was mm-hmm. no way around it and you did the best you could, right? Uh, do, have you seen what I'm talking about? That there's there's sort of a preference for, you know, if I did it, I can correct it <laughs> in a sense going yes. forward. Mm-hmm. I think it's just part of our human condition. I almost feel like it's inherent you know, for us to have these kind of reflexes and feelings when someone dies. And that's part of that learning process. That's part of that quote from Rumi that I keep hearing in my head. Yeah, well, the only way in which I'm not sure about that is I was exposed to a healer, a a grief counselor and healer from Burkina Faso, Mm -hmm. uh, a culture in which um, grief is expressions of grief and um, that whole process is held in community and very much um, honored mm. and where there's much more death acceptance uh, and I didn't I didn't pick up on any of that phenomenon with him so that's that's kind of interesting that perhaps there's because we are a culture that likes to fix things, true. That, that uh, part of our human condition might be turned up a little bit. Do you yeah, think? It's true. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I would. I'd agree with you on that. It's something that's in our country. And and you know most of the Western world. Yeah, uh, it's too, true for sure. You know, it's uh, coming into my head right now. I'm just thinking. I don't, I'm just, I'm just musing because I have no way to know, right? Yeah, but uh, right. it's just an impression. I think, you know, letting go of control is something that we're all learning, especially right now. Um, mm. The routine. Yes, we are in COVID here in case yep. we didn't mention that before. Yep. <laughs> you know, all of our routines and the things that we're used to, the way we view things. We, we just kind of go on in life, do what we do. And... I think with COVID, we've, a lot of people have had to sit with, and getting back to grief here is you can run away from it. You can go to the gym, go out to dinner, go out with friends. All of those things are gone right now. And I've been contemplating this a lot with my own practice, how interesting it is that we have to sit with ourselves and be patient. Many, many of us. Many of us. Either people are working harder or they're not working. Correct. Yeah. There's not that much in between. I've I've noticed just no. with my own my own world. Yes, and 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 when you look at that that statement, I'm going to just say it again. Grief can be a garden of compassion if you keep your heart open through everything. Your pain can be your greatest ally in your life's search for love and wisdom. That could be true, like right now in this moment. You know, with. And, and let's just talk about COVID for a minute, you know, when I know you guys have all heard so much about COVID, but truly we're grieving a lot of the things in life that have just been paused, put aside, maybe even gone forever. Yes. And you learn, and this is very important about death, you can't control death. It's going to come. And, and trying to control it is, 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 is just a non-thing. You know, if you've got the terminal diagnosis, but when you're, you're opening up to, okay, what's happening here? And the word that I use a lot is being curious, curious about what's here now. We can even do it with COVID. What's curious about what is going on? You know, and we get all this different information. Same as 
very true, you know, when you're passing away and there's a, there's, you know, confusion in the beginning and you're wanting to know all these different things about what you've got, how you got it, how long you've had it, could it have been healed, whatever that is. But it's just about being curious about what's in front of you right now and then navigating from that place. You know, I had a very, very dear friend who died four months ago. Um, We, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer Mm. over six years ago. Mm -hmm. And we talked every week for an hour on the phone. She lived on the East Coast. I live on the West Coast. And um, that was a very blessed experience, as you can imagine. How fortunate um, Having that kind of time. Yes. For sure. Um, One thing, she she taught me a lot, as you talk about. (laughs) And and I think I taught her a lot. It was very mutual. And um, I'm thinking about what she did. I've mentioned this before, I think, on the show. Uh, you know how when people are dealing with cancer, the times when they get tested are are highly anxious? Yes. Uh, scanxiety, they're calling it these days. <laughs> anyway, she had pretty pretty significant scanxiety, and she was a very calm person in general. Okay. And so she kind of asked herself curiously, that's what brought it to mind, um, what's going on? What is scaring me about that uh, about this? And she realized that bottom line, it was death. And so she decided, I thought this was very wise, to every time she got tested, every time she had a scan coming up, she would take the three days before the scan to contemplate death. Wow. And she did that as long as she was in treatment. Um, and I beautiful. Uh, oh. It really worked too. This I bet the thing. it did. I mean, her. Uh, she experienced because I usually tell people who are dealing with cancer, "Hey, scanxiety is is it's a thing. You know, it, it will probably happen because yes. being anxious about the anxious makes it bigger." Correct. But what happened was that it took it out of the realm because all that the scan was doing was bringing up the idea that she might die. Correct. It wasn't changing anything. Correct. It was bringing up the idea. And so she really went went for it. And uh, I highly recommend it. It really worked. Because what you're grappling with, what you're actively responding to, uh, it's harder to be anxious about. Right. So you're no, doing I, that. You're, 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 so when you're listening to that little voice inside, and like she said to you, you know, what am I scared of? That's the, you're giving that little voice a voice. You're speaking to that little voice. Exactly. I, I always call it my little girl, or when I'm working with people, sometimes I mean, that little that little guy that's inside that, your heart that's you know, talking that to still you. small voice within. Yes. <laughs> and 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 answering it, you know, and paying attention to it, you know. And when, when exactly. I do my hospice work, and when I walk in a room, that's what I do. I walk in the room and I open up to what's really there. I sometimes I don't even look at the person in the bed. I'm looking at the people around and just feeling the energy just to kind of, you know, to get that, that vibe or that feeling. So there you're spot on there. Yeah. She's that, that experience has been coming to mind a lot because Mm -hmm. I think that um, for many people who haven't had the kinds of experiences you and I have had this time is bringing that up, that vulnerability, that mortality vulnerability so let's and, just go ahead. And, and so, you know, going right for it, I mean, people are going to have to be gentle with themselves, but there right. is, there is sort of a value in facing up to it. 
Yes. You know, uh, I want to share something real quick. Um, you know, uh, I had a beautiful granddaughter born uh, on March 25th, my little girl, Avery. Congratulations. And thank you. And I, I found myself um, getting really frustrated, you know, that I, I've waited for something like this in my whole life. And this was a loss for me not to be able to be with her. And so one of the things that I said to myself, and I know it's a loss for them too, guys, if they're listening, is that um, just doing that self-inquiry inquiry of just going, okay, Nina, what's here right now? I'm angry. I'm very angry. <laughs> and I'm kind of sad. And and just instead of just going through my day, kicking the dog, as people say, or being mad when you drive or whatever, it, it's just given me, giving it a voice of what I was feeling inside of myself. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just love that. I just think it, it's something that, and for anybody out there, you know, and I told people too, when they were going through COVID, realize that if you wake up sad or you wake up angry or you're having a bad day, go inside and ask those questions. You know, what's going on right here for me right now? You know, I miss my friends. I mean, even, even, I think during this COVID, if you have lost your loved one and you were talking about your wife and, and I, my mom, I mean, I, I think our loved ones were missing him more even now because we're having that time to reflect, we're not busy. Sure. Well, and it, it goes two ways. Like I've, I've both had moments of intense missing of the people that have died in my yeah. life and intense relief that I don't have to worry about them. Because every single oh, one yeah, of them was I vulnerable know. in some way. I you know? know, I know. <laughs> but, I well, know. there's room for both. There's room for all of it, isn't there? There is. There is. So well, we've really- reached, we've pretty much reached the end of our time, Nina. Oh, it's been Pleasure. very nice. Thank uh, you. I really appreciate the conversation. And, and folks, you can uh, reach out to, to Nina and look for her book, Dearly Departed, What I Learned About Living from the Dying. Uh, thank you very much for being with me. And May 6th on the Empowerment Channel. May 6th on the Empowerment Channel. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks so much, Cheryl. Hopefully, hopefully we'll switch roles. Oh, sounds point. good. We definitely will. Thank you so much for having on thank me on you today. Too. Okay. Take care. You too. Next Bye. week, I'll have Steve, Steve Disselhorst. He's a gay man whose book, Determined to Be a Dad, chronicles the rocky road to building his family. He had 14 failed adoption attempts before he finally became a dad. And so I'm looking forward to talking with him. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management. 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions. 